sport, the name makes it. Hockey is just really weird because, I mean, you have, like, handball. There's a hand, and you hold the ball in your hand, and you throw it. I mean, it makes sense. Football, if you want to call it football, like, for the, for the soccer, that yeah. makes – even soccer makes sense because it traces back to association football is the origin of that. So, I mean, everything sort of makes sense. Then you get to hockey. Well, rugby. Where did rugby come from? Yeah, this is this is the part where we, where Dan Wikipedia is things <laughs> as we ask him questions. The, the favorite, one time I, the top, I bring top my segment laptop on the show. Oh now. yeah, the one Dan time Wikipedia. in the history of the show I bring my laptop. It's very entertaining for the Dan, people who are you listening. Check the traffic on the way home for John. No, I'm the one who needs traffic. Actually, I'm not. I'm not going straight it's home, so I think it'll be okay. <laughs> yeah, it's Sunday night national traffic. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, we'll have to um, come back to this. This is I don't know. I, 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 it's hard to come with a clever name because everything I want to say is is just insulting towards other people. Um, so I'm just going to stick with Disknet. Disknet, I think, may be the best. Or we could have just called it Crosby, as the prophecy foretold of the chosen one coming. Or Gretzky. That's probably be a better one. I'm going to go out and play some Gretzky tonight, guys. You in? You in for some pickup Gretzky? That sounds like a card game. It does. Like Euchre. It sounds like one of, yeah, that's exactly it what I was like thinking of. It sounds like one of those of. games they play in prison, like Euchre. And welcome in to the show that's suddenly all wearing matching Colton Sissons jerseys. This is the Predcast brought to you by OnTheForeCheck.com and Lions on Internet Marketing Solutions. He's Chris Link. He's John Garcia. I'm Dan Bradley. What's that look for, Chris? You... I, I, I think you introduced us wrong. We're all Colton Sissons tonight. We are all Colton Sissons. Also, this is the first time I've been recording wearing glasses in a long time. So maybe I'm giving you like an overly stern librarian. It was, a, it was like, man, I hope is, is he not a Colton Sissons fan? Everyone should be a Colton Everyone Sissons is. fan. I'm I'm a fourth line fan. You are now, especially. Mm. They finally listened to Chris Link after like <laughs> three years of of uh, of your words falling on deaf ears. That how does do you that's, feel vindicated? No, well, that's kind of how things go. I I say something three years in the past, and then eventually it happens. Whether it be trots or eventually when the predators try and find a way to trade Schwarber and Cants, it'll all come around. John, how are you? I'm doing fine. I'm getting over a uh, very, very busy week. I worked 23 hours on Thursday and Friday and enjoying the weekend. Yeah, it was, a, it was a long, long end of the week. I love that all three of us are somewhat involved in like the same industry, and we never really talk about it. No. So we, we, we all kind of know what yeah. we're going through. What's well, the thing? We live in Nashville, Tennessee, and that pretty much says you're probably working in healthcare in some capacity. Healthcare or music, that's like one or the other. Exactly. That's about healthcare, it. music, or like Bridgestone or Nissan, because don't forget Nissan's got like a ton of people here. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so tires, things with tires, yeah, and cars. Well, cars have things with tires. Yes, but oh, oh fine, fine. <laughs> so, yeah, this is this is the enrollment season. So, like people who do printed material, they're all slaving away on this. Uh, I have the easy job. I'm in IT now, so I'm just. As long as nothing breaks, we're good. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I'm not even in individual enrollment anymore. We're doing group. And like, so this past three weeks was our biggest client and we had to pull mandatory overtime at the end of this week. And it was not very fun. Let me tell you that. But we're here now. We're talking about hockey. Real quick. Have either of you ever worked at a place where they absolutely forbid overtime? Yes. 
Um, no, no, I haven't. One of my first jobs when I moved to Florida was this place that would not let you clock in a minute early. That if you clocked in at 5.59, if your shift started at 6, then they would deduct it out of your paycheck. Oh, then no, I've never worked in a place that strict. So, I mean, is it, same thing with clocking out as well? Yeah, you needed to clock out exactly at that time. If You can clock out like a minute or two before, you can't clock out afterwards. That just sounds more like stingy business owners. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a it was a uh, nationally or a regionally franchised uh, uh, retailer. Got but it. I'm not going to say enough. Who, enough. Said. I absolutely no. love the company, but <laughs> enough. Said. Was, working for them was different. No, the most I ever had was a one. Uh, I worked at one of the papers. They were just like, "Hey, uh, you worked 16 hours yesterday, so you need to only work two hours today." Okay, that was it. We didn't really clock in, punch out, and just, huh. how. how yeah. I, I've been salary since I left college. Overtime is just something you that jerk. happens. Wow. One thing that did work this week was the uh, Predators offense for the most part. Uh, start the week off, uh, Ottawa. This game had everything. 7-5 to five is the final score. And this is after the debacle against the Blues. So it felt pretty good seeing the goal lights work and everything, make sure they still worked okay. Uh, especially now that Brian Elliott was no longer the – or pardon, Jake Allen was not the goaltender. So while the penalty kill still has some issues, let's talk for a minute or two. We started with the fourth line. Fourth line shows up with now Colton Sissons, who is in place of the injured Gostad, uh, Austin Watson, you know, America's hero, and Gabriel Bork. That line was a plus four on the night. Four goals were created off that line in just over eight minutes of ice time. That was the amazing part. They didn't, like, it's not like they played a whole lot. They made the most of the time that they had. And I think that's what, like, we've said, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but that's what we've been seeing from them for the past couple of games. And kind of like you were saying, Link, like, it, it's something that should have been done a long time ago, I think. Well, it, there's sort of a weird thing that happened with the Ottawa game in that that fourth line came in, and there's no good way to prepare for that fourth line because they've never played together. Most of them have limited. Mm, they've played together in Milwaukee. In Milwaukee, they've never played in the NHL. They There's not like NHL footage of them. They have limited deployment in the NHL. And the fourth line is going to go out against, I mean, who you deploy them against. I mean, are you going to, if they're a fourth line, are you gonna see, you're not going to see them against the other team's first or second line necessarily, or maybe you are. Or are they going to try to play them against soft competition? There's a lot of question marks because this deployment has never been, made, been with the Natural Predators. And it is a very, very non-traditional fourth line compared to what historically the Predators have always played. Totally different. And then all of a sudden you've got four lines capable of doing all sorts of chaotic things out there. And you don't have that one like, oh, well, we're going to have a couple guys plodding up down the ice. We just can have our fast guys skate around them and hope that, you know, Gabby Bork doesn't go pinballing into somebody and knock the puck free. Essentially, yeah, essentially right. I thought that Watson and Sissons find each other on the ice so well. And Bork plays that type of game, so Bork just plugged right into it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when Gabby Bork's moved up to a, a very skilled line, it's like he just he's out there trying to be Gabriel Bork, and the other two guys are out there to play hockey. So uh, plus with the Ellis and Eckholm deployment with them, Ryan Ellis was having a blast with those guys. Yeah. He had his head up, just looking around, see who he can get a deflection with, and that first deflection by Sissons was just a thing of beauty. Uh, and that's what he did in Milwaukee for the past couple of years. I mean, twenty five goals each year, and you, and you look at Watson scoring uh, a twenty goal scorer down in Milwaukee as well. Uh, those kids know how to play hockey and they know how to put the puck in the net. Whether that's going to translate as far as, you know, the NHL remains to be seen, but they at least have talent amongst them to be able to do their role 
really well as far as a fourth line checking line and at the same time try and uh, generate some scoring with it as well. What I really like about uh, Watson and Sissons is that they bring back something that's been gone from the Predators for starting really last season and then wasn't there to start this season. And that, you know, Fisher really not, he's, he's a fine net presence when the team's attacking, but he's not like the greatest. He's not, you know, before there was always Hornquist. Hornquist is always there in front of the net looking for deflections, causing those problems. Now, Watson assistants can both go in and do that. They're both way better skaters than Hornquist was. And they have the, just, just enough talent to make them really scary if you ignore them. That's a really nice combination. And there's so much that can happen with those that they can keep playing together. And all three of those guys do that. I mean, Bork probably a lesser extent to him, but you don't want all three guys just hanging out in front of the crease. But that was, that line just looked just hell to play against all week. And that's, that out. the Senators game, though, was just the apex of it. So I hope they didn't peak too early. But you saw them win over trust as the game went on. You saw them win over trust as the week went on, which we'll talk about the other games here in a second. Um, Ottawa, I, I know they're a good team. I'm not going to take – I mean, I know that they have at least guys that can score – but there's no reason why that game was that close. The penalty kill had some issues, and uh, they got it straightened out as the week went on. But geez, that was that looked rough. The the game, I I think it's a kind of a false flag. The game was close. The first period was just a mess for the Predators. Yeah, everything was going wrong. And then once you get in the second period and the Predators turn it around, it was more the game you expected to see. So I think you just saw like a complete everything falls out out of you know falls out the bottom first period. Laviolette and team gets you know gets their act together and they came on they play their game for the rest of it and they had the attitude you love to see is they're like okay we give three goals and we keep giving goals we need to actually score seven to win this and then they went and did it yeah and that was uh, you're touching on something that I was thinking of too is because after the way that the St Louis game went you know arguably maybe one of the best performances they've ever made but yet they lost four to nothing um, and then they come out and give up immediately three goals in the first period. Uh, well, I guess it was two goals in the first period and then one in the third period. But either way, they were down by two goals. And they could have hung their heads and said, well, here we go again. It's not going to be our night. But they didn't. And they ended up potting a touchdown uh, in a really entertaining game. The uh, What I think I really like what you're talking about with the, kind of that mental space. Because I think we're, we're all we – we, everyone at this table kind of like – we like the stats. Yeah. We like the advanced stats too. But the one, one of the intangible, you call it intangible, that you can really measure is that sort of, um, that drive and confidence you can see from people. And the contrast that I want to pull up is when the Predators played the Ducks for the first time earlier this season. The Ducks came in, they were already just absolutely disaster. They give up that first goal, or they, the first goal they give up, they just surrender. And you can just see it in the body language. Mm-hmm. And so you can, you look at the Predators, who... You know, Ottawa scores two goals. They come back, score another goal. Ottawa scores, you know, ending, ending the first period. Ottawa puts away the third, third goal. 3-1. They come out. They don't look defeated. They look energized. They look engaged. That is so cool to see from a team. That's the kind of thing that takes you deep in the playoffs is that mental resiliency that you can you can really physically observe. Not some leadership thing or he's a locker room guy. It is, it is drive and, and confidence. They came out after being down three to one, pretty you know de- debilitating. Going down two goals, Sisson scores, then a short. They give up a shorty to Zach Smith. Second period of that game, they outshoot the Senators twelve to three. Woof. <laughs> they were already out shooting Ottawa after the first, but the second period, which we know that the second period has not been Nashville's typical period, Mm-mm. 
The only problem is is that Nashville gave them two goals in the second period on those three shots. So they come out in the third period and just lay waste to the Senators. And that was satisfying. Everything about that was satisfying. Nashville wins the faceoff count, 44-34 without Gostad, um, which that's, you know, Gostad's sticking point. He's the one guy who wins faceoffs. Colton Simpsons went 4 for 4 100% of his faceoffs. It's a good start. That's a good start. You're right. Uh, Smith went 67%. Fisher won, all, won most of his. He Yard Crook at 59. How many, how many faceoffs did Smith take, though? I probably just well if he took uh, three yeah probably three. three yeah he was on two of them <laughs> yeah. sorry two, it, it, two it out of three took me a little bad. long to get there a little little longer than I would like to admit to get there <laughs> Colin yeah. Wilson was sixty two that means he must have taken like what seven that's math that's math that I cannot do I, in my head. Well, he would, I think he was on the third line for that one wasn't he so oh. he was probably coming in for uh, for uh, either Hodgson or Hodgson didn't take any he, did he not no he didn't take any that night was okay so and this is a question too because. Uh, uh, Yarncroke played center last night. Hodgson was on the wing. Did Hodgson play center? I'm getting the signal over here. We're going to stop there. You're going to slow your roll right, right there. Slow your roll. Yes, he, but the answer is yes. He didn't take as many draws. I think you're going to think you're seeing him both back and forth. But we're going right. to circle back around. To, okay, cool. I'll hold, to, I'll hold that to, thought. To Callie Yarncroke. Uh, Thursday night. Leafs come into town. Not the most exciting game in the whole wide world. I think I blacked out partway through the second period. Oh, God, period. it was so bad. It was I bad. Think, no. what, there were, were, were there, were there four, there were like just over 40 shots combined? 21-21 at the end of the third period. So 42, I guess, I, if my math if, is correct. I, one of this, the, the, the pseudo measurements I use to test if a game's been entertaining or not is if both teams do not reach 30 shots minimum by the end of the game, it was probably dull and bad and just not worth watching. Or you're just watching the Minnesota Wild. I think we just agreed on that's like that's what I just said. I'm ninety percent sure. <laughs> Minnesota Wild will test your desire of how much how much of a hockey fan are you? Are you going to watch this game? No. The answer is no. The answer is no. Uh, overtime loss, two to one. It's a game that they probably should have won, but I mean, it's still a point. I mean, it's not going to kill you. Yeah. Anything. And also, give credit to Mike Babcock for uh, executing a flawless game plan and shutting down uh, the de- the defense and limiting scoring chances. I mean, there was not a whole lot of free ice out there for the Predators to skate with and make anything up. And credit my ba- Mike Babcock on that because his team isn't talented, but they followed what he wanted to do yeah. to a tee. I, mean, I, I kind of threw the same thing out uh, mid-game on, on Twitter, just saying Mike Babcock knows the, he knows the central division, period. And he knows it so well, and he's such a good coach. He just makes it work, and you're just watching this, and you're like, the Predators are beating them in every way, but the way that the the system of the Leafs is laid out, they're always in the right spot at the very least, which means the shots that you're getting are just crummy shots. That's a good way to put it. They were they they had several they had they were on par with attempts. They're right where they want to be as far as possession goes, but. Yeah, they were. You're right. There was crummy attempts. Uh, uh, Tyler that, Bozak actually had himself a pretty good night. And yeah. if you look at how Bozak's progressed from last year to this year, I mean, I'm still hashtag Nozak to Bozak when it comes to the Predators. But Bozak's a much better player than what he was last year. Yeah, I said in uh, the recap for the Toronto Maple Leafs game that he's going to be uh, buyer's remorse at the trade deadline 2016. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I think that that's what you're looking at right now. And uh, Credit my Babcock again to that because, I mean, we all know that he's a really good coach and we all know that he's probably going to do great things with the Maple Leafs, but we also knew that they weren't going to be good this year, but they were still going to try and put out a maximum effort under him. Yeah, 
I, I have harped on this in the past that people do not hold coaches accountable in the right ways in the NHL. At least maybe fans and, and blogger media generally don't. Because you look at, you know, we all knew Mike Babcock was a good coach. And we saw him coaching forever in a extremely good, very persistently year-over-year good Red Wings team that even in its fading glory, he still kept it highly competitive. And then you put him in charge of the Maple Leafs, who, just, who basically sold off most of their key assets. And everyone expects him to be absolutely dreadful and have no talent. And those three things are true, but you see the impact that a system and a single coach has had on the entire organization on, that, on the ice. It's incredible. I, I, Canada, I mean, could, can, Canada hockey can choose anybody they want to to coach their team. And there's a reason why they keep coming back to Babcock. I mean, I mean is Mike... And this is a question I don't, I don't think we want to answer now. Is, mm-hmm. is Mike Babcock the best hockey NHL coach of all time? Is he is he going to ever ever be able to take that mantle? All time, I don't know about that. He can he can make the Toronto Maple Leafs in 2015 not look like embarrassments. Yeah. That alone is a small <laughs> miracle. But as far as his whole career, and, and now that we're getting to finally see him coaching away from the Red Wings system... And the fact that we can we can start really seeing how good of a coach he actually is, and you look look at that Red Wings reign, and put that in context, and it becomes very very impressive. Because mm-hmm. you you wonder what the Red Wings would have been like without him, and it probably wouldn't be as many Stanley Cups. Well, we're kind of seeing what what that's like right now. Well, we're we're seeing kind of a an, a diet version of the Red Wings, to be fair, because we're seeing an older version of the of Datsuk and Zetterberg. We're seeing a players that are literally one concussion away from not being able to walk again, still somehow playing hockey, which is which is unfair to him, unfair to the team, and unfair to the fans, and just unfair to everybody. Yeah, and Jeff Blashill still is in He's his first year of perfectly coaching. Perfectly acceptable coach. <laughs> and we so, also also elite top six forward Justin Ablicator. Who's getting paid Roman Yossi money. Oh. I love that so much. I, I really do. All right, Saturday night, let's talk about what everybody's here listening to or everyone wants to listen to. Uh, Winnipeg rolls into town, and... Before this happened, before the gaming was even uh, in my sights, I got asked by uh, Arctic Ice Hockey to be on their podcast on Monday night. Talk about just the the good fortune. This the, tomorrow, tomorrow. Night. Oh, that's going to be so much fun. <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll break up, we'll break down the Blue Jays rotation with or without <laughs> David Price, and 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 we'll talk some hunting, and you know it'll be fun. But jeez, uh, where do you want to begin with this one? Uh, oh, actually, I know exactly where I want to begin. You asked uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, what team or player or something like that do you most like irrationally hate? And I, I think it was player, but team for me is the Winnipeg Jets. And I don't know why it is. And that's why that I I come to that because like they, it's not the fact that they're in the Central Division. It's not the fact that I saw them in the Southeast Division after they um, switched over from Atlanta. But there's just something about that team. That I just cannot stand. I'll jump in with this real quick. You know how, for many years, Vancouver, can, the Vancouver Canucks have always played the same way. And since they're kind of a little bit dirty, a little bit behind the play, kind of dirty. And you look around at some of the same guys in the locker room. It's guys like Burroughs. You know the Sedins aren't dirty just because they're they're the Sedin brothers. They're two of my favorite players in hockey, and I wish they had had a far better faith than going to Vancouver. But if you look at guys like up until last year, BXA and mm-hmm. Burroughs. It's part of, I think, the in the mindset of Vancouver. That's how you play. That's how you win because that's what we do here in Vancouver. You look at Winnipeg, and it's guys like Andrew Ladd and Dustin Bufflin are the head of that locker room. Dustin Bufflin's throwing guys 
clothes in the shower. You know, that's that's he's the le- undisputed leader of that team. And you're thinking, I mean, just watching how they play and watching how they reacted when they got down. You, I know that Buffalo. He's what free agent at the end of this year. Yeah, so is Lad. So is Lad. So, I mean, that's Winnipeg's identity of those two guys. I don't know if I'd be really fighting over keeping those guys. I mean, even though I know that they both got rings, they're both really pretty good players. They're both going to get some stupid money over the offseason, though. Let's, I think we can all acknowledge that. So I won't miss these guys if they're no longer in the Central Division, what I'm trying to say. No, and Bufflin has become year over year just a dirty player. Like you look at the hits that he makes, the elbows to the heads that he makes, the cheap shots that he makes after the whistle. Um, it's like he wants to be Chris from Chris Pronger without being as good as Chris Pronger. A big, slow Chris Pronger. A bigger, slower Chris Pronger. That's that's a better way to put it. That's a sad and scary thing to think about. <laughs> maybe, maybe maybe Buffalo will be fortunate enough to be able to retire with the Cody's as well. We'll be in the Ring of Honor. Well, that's that's a scary thing. All right, so game was chippy as hell, absolute beatdown even after even during the first period. When it's four nothing after the first period, that's we you know on eight shots on or eight something shots. like that. Yeah. Now before the season began, you guys really loved you some Winnipeg Jets enough to not put them in last place in the division. And my my reasoning was just goaltending because I don't trust Hutchinson, I don't trust Pavlik, and I don't trust them to make a move to really solve that issue as well. Um, Hutchinson got the start, gets lit up. Pavlik goes in, he gets lit up. If you're Winnipeg, uh, I know it's not all on goaltending because that defense, the defense is supposed to be much better than what they are. Enstrom, mm-hmm. I love Toby Enstrom. I think he's a very underrated player. He just happens to play beside Dustin Bufflin. Jacob Truba, Tyler Myers, that's supposed to be a good top four. What's going on with the Jets? Is it just a bad scheming, or is it Paul Maurice wearing out his welcome? Because he does that. Yeah, he did that in Carolina. Um, twice. Twice. Yeah, I don't I mean uh, – I haven't watched the Jets a whole lot this year for exactly the reason why I said before, just like sometimes I just cannot stand them. Um, But looking at it, I mean, they had, like going back to what you said before, um, I don't believe, and we can roll back the tape, I don't believe that I had them as a playoff team this year. But I also don't think that I had them at the very bottom of the Central Division. I think I had them more as like Colorado. Yeah, that's right. And Everyone should have Colorado at the bottom. And so they're kind of like... They're kind of a bubble team right now. And you you look at that, they've had some uh, success early on. They played some uh, pretty tough teams to begin the year. I mean, they were playing against like the Kings and Minnesota and St. Louis. And then they had a couple of, you know... Bruins and Devils and stuff like that in between that. So far, they're doing what they need to do to stay within the playoff picture. And I think that they're just going through a rut right now um, where they're playing maybe a little bit below what their uh, talent is. Um, And I think that they're just suffering from maybe some just bad luck all around because I don't think that they're an awful team, but I still don't think, I still think that they're just going to be on that bubble where they could very easily miss the playoffs. Um, but I would not be surprised if they made it into the playoffs either. With, with the parity of the NHL, you just don't have a team go out there and put seven goals on the board and it just be a talent thing. It just, it doesn't happen in the NHL. There's not enough of a gap. And it, I mean, things just don't work out that way. I mean, even the, even Colorado, probably the worst team in the league isn't that bad. Typically, typically, yeah, typically, <laughs> typically, Colorado, Colorado uh, so, is at least eight to one and not yeah. seven to nothing. So, I mean, I, I really think that what happens is you put Hutchinson right back out there, you play your game, and and it's it's probably not going to happen again. 
Probably. Well, his numbers are better than Pavlik's by a mile. Well, pa- like, Pavlik's I mean, is the worst starting goaltender in the league. If yeah. you can even consider a starter anymore. True, and it's not like it's better like in comparison to Pavlik, because like Pavlik, uh, he's got, before this game, he had like a 909 save percentage or maybe even below that, um, which is typical for him. But Hutchinson was rocking like a 929, I think, in seven or eight starts. So I don't think that he's necessarily the problem. Again, is he a full-time, full-fledged starter? I think that remains to be seen, uh, but he is an RFA after this year, so they've got, uh, and Pavlik is a UFA after this year, so they've got some decisions to make in net whether they want to try and trade for someone. Um, I don't know what their goaltending prospects look like uh, beyond them two. I, I, I just don't. Um, so I don't think that it's the worst thing for them to just start throwing Hutchinson out there more and more. Yeah, I mean, you, you know he's more of your future than Pavlich is ever going to be. Yeah. I mean, period. I so I you got to you just got to keep playing him, and I think you touched on something that uh, holds true with a, with no matter what sport you want to use, whether you want to use football, whether you use basketball, when you use hockey, soccer doesn't really quite apply. Uh, doesn't really quite apply with baseball as well. But for teams that have this kind of grinding mentality, and we saw this many years with the, with the Predators, that when stuff doesn't go your way, it's debilitating because you're counting on getting breaks. You're counting on you know, 50-50 coin flips going your way more often than not in order for that to be able to work. So when you get down 3 nothing on the road and you get down 4 nothing, it's debilitating. It doesn't mean I've seen, uh, for instance, I mean, I've, my, the high school football team I cover, when, the, when they go down by two or three touchdowns, they don't quite pack it in. They don't give up or anything. But you can just tell that whole sideline is just like, oh, God. Yeah. And it's it's incredible too because I mean you look at the first two scoring lines from the Winnipeg Jets and they're lighting they're lighting it up. I mean Blake Wheeler's got twenty points already on the year, and it's one of those things where you know they okay they allowed the first goal. That's still a dangerous team. They're down two to nothing. Okay, well they could still come back at any time, and then all of a sudden it's three to nothing, four to nothing, and then you're like, well, here they go again. And that's just what has been going on for the past couple games for the Jets. But we see it with grinding teams, just as as like a as a personality trait with them. Um, with the roster that they have, they're better than playing like this. They really are, and if that's one of the, one of the things that we I'm really cherishing about the uh, Laviolette era, as opposed to the Trotz era, is that even if they do go down three nothing or two or three to one like they did against Ottawa, okay, there's still a second period to play. They just get more aggressive. Yeah, they get more aggressive. I mean, we did see we did see Winnipeg. To try to take some more chances, but when Nashville when they pull their defensemen back, you're not going to get through easily. Mm-hmm. Especially, I love the Barry Jackman Seth Jones pairing, but we'll get into that a little bit later on. Let's talk about some good stuff real quick. Callie Arncroke, two goals against Winnipeg. Yeah, and Callie Arncroke's fan club probably starts the line forms behind me on this one, but uh, he's now moved over to center instead of Hodgson. So he's taking the draws. He's winning the draws. Hodgson's never been a great faceoff guy. He's career like 46, 48%. Mm-hmm. Yarncroke, apparently his being taught by Paul Gostad, the tricks of the trade, and is now a completely acceptable faceoff guy. And that's great. That, that's, that's awesome because it's needed. At one point, because if you look at Mike Fisher's numbers, he's not looking all that, not looking all that great. But let's, we'll save that for a little bit later on in the show. Yarncroke right now looks like the player that he – that finished the season a couple of years ago. So does that change your opinion on kind of where he's headed or where do you come out as far as this little spell that Yarncrook's on right now? I, 
there's not. I don't think you can draw too much from it. I do think, broadly speaking, that Yarmkroak performs better when he's playing center. He may not win faceoffs, but I, I, everyone at this table knows I have a generally, di, you know, dim view of faceoffs and their importance. But I, I, his positioning is better. His his vision seems to be better at center. He knows what to do better at center. So there's no reason not to get him there as much as possible. And his performance just seems to elevate when he's in, in position. And give credit to Hodgson, too, on that, that very first goal that they scored. He knew exactly where Callie Yarncroke was going to be, and he made a very smart play to chip it out to where he's going to be. And then that hockey IQ for Yarncroke showed when he just wound up and shot that puck. Um, I, I would rewatch that goal like three or four times because like everything about it from where it started in the Preds defensive zone with Jackman uh, throwing the puck to Yarncroke over to Hodgson back to Yarncroke, gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. What if I told you that the most successful face-off artist for the Nashville Predators this year is Callie Yarncroke and it's not even close. Callie Yarncroke has won 57% of his draws. Paul Gostad. You don't want to take a guess? Uh, I'm going to say even 50. 52. Mm. Mike Fisher, 50. Hodgson, 44. I'll say 45. So how, but how many, uh, how many draws? How many draws has he taken? 101. It's pretty good. Yeah. Paul Gostad's taken just over 200. Uh, Fisher's taken over 300. Let's see. Ribeiro's taken right around 200, and he's only won 35% of them. <laughs> About what we, I mean, that's about, I mean, Ribeiro's worse than expected this year to get started. Uh, Fisher is about what we expected, 50%. Okay, fine. It's supposed to be a coin flip. Colton Sissons, taking 21 draws, 153% of them. Again, these are face-offs. This is not like a super vital category, but it's kind of cool seeing Callie Arncroke at least getting the chance to do so and succeeding. Yeah, I mean, if he can keep being that third-line center, bringing stability there, maybe even... You know, making some cameos in the second line if he if he can elevate his play a little bit, just spells out good things for the National Predators. Yeah, I mean, that's that's not exactly the the hottest of takes, but you know, to, but that's the that's the honest truth. I mean, he's the he's the guy that's really kind of tied the whole third line together. Plus, Mika Salamaki, he he's I think he's a better fit on the third line because he's going out there and just being Mika Salamaki, very similar to what Bork is, but he's a kind of a as you said a higher ceiling Bork. So mm. that works good with that third line. All right, we do got some questions from you folks today. We put it out there earlier today that we're going to be recording. First question, and this goes to one of our uh, one of our favorite listeners, a guy who's pretty well in, in, interacts with all of us. John Cotwright writes in, very simple question. What's up with Fiala? In case you missed it, Kevin Fiala uh, had himself a game on Wednesday. Uh, it was the first ever, I think it was like a school day game in Milwaukee where they had like 11,000 students in the crowd, a total, a total of like 12,000 people there. And uh, he chose that to be the game where he has his dramatic heel turn and flips off the entire bench of the Lake Erie Monsters. Yeah. Now, having said that, he did. There was it was somewhat warranted because he did get headshotted. But it was that the same one where he ran a goalie? Or is that a different game, or am I totally thinking of someone I don't else? Know. I know he's been healthy scratched a couple of times already. He's been healthy scratched. But he's like one of the most penalized players in the AHL. Seems like he's not scoring. It seems, yeah. I was gonna say it seems like uh, a whole heap of discipline issues, uh, uh, growing pains. 
um, and just maybe he's just too disappointed in himself for not making the NHL team that he's getting in his head and not playing well. I think I, I was going to say almost the exact same thing. I, I think there's a degree of he I, I believe he expected to make the Predators this year. He did not. And he's acting out a little bit. He's also I mean, how long was he in in Milwaukee last season? Half. About little, little less than half. So I he think. was. It was the whole point. The point only being that he wasn't there for a full season, and so now he's he's fully on his own in the U.S. in Milwaukee. Didn't make the team in Nashville. He thought he was going to make, uh, like he was going to, uh, and he's now acting out. Which I mean, he, nineteen. Maybe, uh, well, he's nineteen, but also I think we we might be biased against him because we saw Seth Jones step in the league so young and just be a professional. Well, there's a big difference. We're, this is like old guy media hot takery right here. But Seth Jones is the son of a proud professional well, athlete. But the only point is, is, is we buy it. We saw someone step in, be very poised, be very professional. When then we see Kim Fiala at a similar age. Philip step Forsberg, in. another example. Philip Forsberg had, I mean, he was the, ta- the captain of Team Sweden at the World Juniors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Philip Forsberg was always regarded as the next guy coming out of Sweden. And you can see how that's how he carries himself. Uh which, by the way, his dad was at the game last night. I saw of all that. the games for his dad to go to, Patrick Forsberg picked like an excellent one to go <laughs> to. Got to see his son's first misconduct penalty. <laughs> Mostly uh, uh, necessitated by Dustin Bufflin coming in and bear hugging him from I behind. Was, you know what? Like, you know what? That's ten minutes where Bufflin will not be able to kill Forsberg on the ice. Here's the this thing, though: when when he did that. Forsberg was like trying to dig through all the bodies on the ice to get back to Bufflin because like everyone piled up on them and he was like, all right, I'm going after you right now. I'm, uh, I love that kid so much. I really do. Uh, correction, Fiala was actually suspended for his uh, drive-by. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, I think the HL is a mandatory two-game suspension for yeah, that. This was the second game of it. Yeah. But here's another, here we'll spend another way. Not saying that Fiala is without fault here because we, we've got it on video, him flipping off an entire group of hockey players. And he did a little bit of this last year whenever he would score goals and showboat, showboat a little bit. Yeah. I like that, actually. Um, what's up with Milwaukee? Because you have guys like Max Gortz getting suspended. You have, um, I think, Ponis Oberg got suspended as well for something s- silly. I think those were like uh, team discipline things. Or like they were late to meetings or something along those lines. Because uh, Moses, same thing. He was scratched for a game because of um, like team discipline or something like we've that. We've never heard this before, have no. we? And I, this frequency, yeah. this degree? Yeah, we've never heard this kind of I, stuff out of Milwaukee maybe before. There's, maybe there's a... Maybe there's a bit of a change in the guard going on. It's it's not being a smooth transition. And think about the guys that are that used to be down there. Where you had Watson, you had Sissons, uh, guys uh, that were you know leaders in the room that aren't there anymore. I, yeah. Again, I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but but yeah, you pulled up Salamonkey, Watson, Sissons, all key guys. You had Forsberg down there, obviously not last year, but in the past. You had Yarnkuku who had a few you know ventures down there. Now all of a sudden they're all gone. You don't have a whole lot of the no um, potato. Maybe potato was the key. <laughs> you don't have a whole lot of like the the Scott Ford types that are on the ice anymore down there. You yeah, don't have so, a, you don't have a bunch of older tryhards. You have a bunch of uh, guys like you have Arvidsson down there, Gaudreau, Gortz, Oberg, Kamenev, Devane, Gerard, Robinson, Moses, Reinhardt. It's all pretty young guys. Yeah, Nakiva, Arneson, Allen. Yeah, a lot of a lot yeah, of kids I down just, there. Johan Ulm is the elder statesman, I believe, down there. <laughs> yes, yeah, I think it's a changing of the guard type. Type, type thing where there's really not a I, I maybe like an on ice father figure for them to to kind of put them all in line or or something like that. I mean, it's I I don't 
buy into the oh these kids and their generational generations being disrespectful for their that's I mean I don't buy that I just I just think there's maybe it's it, you get a bunch of young guys who don't have a lot of maybe senior leadership to to force them to be to kind of fall in line. The team captain's now um, playing for the Nashville Predators as well. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. Nicole, maybe it, it could just be a lack of a strong cultural identity for the Milwaukee Admirals right right now. Hey, a rebrand can have reverberations. I mean, you lose your your goofy, awesome skeleton, which is one of the greatest logos in the history of hockey, and you replace it with something that looks a little clip arty, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, things are going poorly. I, I'm a bias because I don't like the new look, but that's just me. Mario writes in, ignoring all of the Jets' defense that was on the box, how about our third-line penalty killers actually executing the power play setup? That was her question. Her question was... Good. Yeah. Was, we we <laughs> like when power pa- penalty kills are successful. Well, we don't typically see... You can, I think I get what she's saying, actually. We don't typically see Yarncroke on the power play. He's more of a penalty kill guy. Mm-hmm. Um, first off, who knew Kelly Yarncroke had, like, the the anime-style slap shot that Victor Arvidsson uses. That was pretty cool. He's he's deployed so defensively that he doesn't get a lot of those opportunities to show off the offensive skill that he's had and probably still has, one would assume. Mm -hmm. You you saw it last night with those two goals. Uh, Andrew Warner writes in, will we we ever see Goose and Nystrom again? And the answer is yes. You're going to see them again. Should you, though? You can't bench them. I mean, the the, the issue is, is that... Just due to roster numbers, when they're activated off of IR, guys are going to have to go down to Milwaukee. That's just that's just the nature of things. So no. they're going to become healthy. You can't have that. They're, they're going to be over roster. You're going to have to send guys like Salamanki and and Sissons back down, despite the fact that no one wants to see that right now, except for maybe like I don't know Eric Nystrom. Yeah, I'm like I was thinking about it earlier today because you think about the role that Gostad has on the team. And I think it's starting to get a little bit redundant. And, like, I'm no Paul Gostad hater by any stretch of the imaginations. I would prefer him on the team over Eric Nystrom, for sure. But seeing what that fourth line is doing, it's just, okay, so we are paying this guy how much money to be a defensive zone face-off specialist and what else? Yeah, the, the deployment as far as Gostad and Sissons is concerned... Uh, Sissons is actually facing very similar competition to him. If you chart what they've what they've played all throughout the year, it's very similar. Same with Watson. Um, the difference that I'm noticing on the team, and uh, we're going to get into this a bit more after the break, but the amount of, of defensive zone starts they've had this week has uh, actually gone down because they're actually exiting the zone and not getting pinned in the whole time. The same stuff that Chris Link, again, has been saying for literally the last three and a half years. Are we going into detail on the fourth line at any other point in the show, or could I go in now? Let's do it. One, so one of the things that you notice from the very first game that they played is how much better the cycle game is, how much more uh, opportunities they create with that, and how they're just getting shots to the net. They're not getting pinned in in the zone, and they're also not being one and done anymore, where they chip it in, try to cycle, turn it over, and then the puck starts going the other way. And we harped on this over the summer. We harped on this uh, during the preseason. And the big question was with Eric Nystrom and Paul Gostad, could the kids in Milwaukee do as good or better of a job than what they, than Nystrom and Gossett are currently doing right now. And I think all of us thought, yes, they could give them a shot. And we're now seeing that, even though it's a small sample size, they are performing better. 
they're executing the system better and they're creating more scoring chances for that. And I don't think that they're going to score, you know, four goals on the line every game. But if they keep doing what they're doing, that's that's exactly what you want. Better than four goals a season. Yeah. <laughs> I, what what we're seeing now with with um, you know, especially with Watson and Sissons on that fourth line, is a nearly hundred percent top to bottom, both on the offensive, on the forward side, and the defenseman side, a fully modern NHL hockey team. Uh, you know, we're in this. I've talked to this before, especially with defensemen, but we're in a transition period with the NHL. In that a lot of the that kind of old school uh, style that has been always played is disappearing. So the defense making more puck moving, more more offense oriented, and the forwards you can't carry guys who cannot get out of the zone if they're just there to to you know bump and grind uh, uh, on the boards or things like that, or just win faceoffs like Gostad. That doesn't work when you've got guys attacking you really aggressively and pressing. So when you start getting guys who can break out of the zone, who can do their own pressing, who can ter- force the turnovers without having to block shots, you're just rolling a scary line after scary line after scary line. And the sooner the Predators can get there as a team, which is what Laviolette seems to be driving towards, the better the Predators are going to be, be um, in a position to threaten the really kind of traditional strong teams. And there's only a handful of guys left in the Predators not counting the guys on IR right now who who fit that old school mold. I mean, you've got Weber who who fortunately has that amazing shot and can have some really good good dominant position play when he's on his game. And then I I think um, you know, Fisher's sort of a transition player. He 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 fits well enough. Uh but yeah, you just get rid of a lot of the the problematic kind of old type players. Musa Reister, Musa Monster writes in, is it time for Yarncroak to replace Fisher and if not now, maybe soon? I wouldn't be opposed to seeing that as an experiment. I, I still, despite the fact that I don't think it's going to happen, I want to believe that Fisher is going to get back to his normal self. But, you know, I was really surprised when Fisher came back from injury last season and did so well. I knew what he was doing was unsustainable. Um, but I think it, it if it if he had come back and not hit that unsustainable clip where he was scoring just nonstop and doing so well, he probably wouldn't have signed for another couple years. Uh, so he, I think he he and the team got tricked into thinking he was gonna be better than he was, and he's sort of performing like I expected him to when he came back from injury, and that bums me out a bit. Yeah, but I also think he's also I don't know. I thought I I, I see what you're saying. I also think that he's just performing less than what anyone or what he should be doing. Also, um, I think that just like with Forsberg, we saw it with Smith last night, with he bumped out for three points for the first time in. 11 games or something like that. I think it's just one of those things where that top six is stuck in a little bit of a rut. And I mean, I don't think that Fisher is a top six player by any stretch of the imagination. I think he's more of a third line player, Um, but that speaks more to the team problems than it does for Mike Fisher. But I I don't know, because I would like to see Cali Yarncrook maybe centering some more talented individuals. But at the same time, we talked about it just a couple minutes ago that he and Hodgson are starting to get that chemistry there. And I don't know if it's going to be that great of an idea to bump Fisher down there and just see if that works for a little bit. Because, again, we're at this point where you can maximize one line, but you're going to have some sort of deficiency in another line, and that's just the way that the Predators are made up right now. Would you rather maximize the first line or the third line? I'd rather maximize the first line. Yeah, that's true. I'm just, that's, yeah, that's, that's a good question because <laughs> there's a, definitely a wrong answer. Yeah. 
Um, wow, this guy uh, hits a uh, nice little triple play here. This REW182 writes in, does having a favorite player make games more or less enjoyable? And going into the detail, Craig Smith fans. So when he goes through a month-long stretch where I... I start getting pissed despite winning, you know, when he has three, when he has three good point game, I flip my lid. So does having a favorite player make games more or less enjoyable for you too? Let's use a non, let's think about this in a non predators context too. Cause I'm, I'm a big Dustin Brown fan. So I'm used to him not scoring goals. That's, that's just, mm-hmm. you know, I guess it just depends on who your favorite player is. I mean, if your favorite player is like Alex Ovechkin, you know, you're every other game is going to be great for you. Mm. You know, I almost think it can be a little problematic to have a fa- to really to latch onto a favorite player, if I think about um you know if I think about watching a Flyers game and I I know that, like Simmons is on the ice I'm like I'm trying to watch because I'm like is he gonna like just piss somebody off really bad is he gonna score goals he gonna do a great I'm watching him and not the play as much because I want to see if he's gonna do something entertaining because that's why I like him because he's very entertaining so I think that could be detrimental in some ways but it's also it's a Flyer so it's like a guilty pleasure thing anyways. Question number two, he writes in, Phil Housley was known as the quarterback. They said that like three or four times during his Hall of Fame induction. So in honor of his induction, who would you give these positions to? Who would you call the shortstop, the linebacker? It's like all through all of hockey. I'll, 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 I'll start off with this. The shortstop for me would be Nicholas Lidstrom because he was the shortstop is the most important outside of pitcher, the most important defensive position on in the infield. And Lidstrom was perfect. He was, I mean, he was more like a Brooks Robertson type character because Brooks Robertson, I think, was the best defensive third baseman of all time. And he chipped him with some timely goals as well. So that may be more Nick Lidstrom, but I think that's closer for that. The linebacker is out question is Chris Pronger. Because linebackers are supposed to be big, mean, nasty. You know, that's textbook Chris Pronger. I think those are great answers, Dan. <laughs> Glad someone else knows about other sports. Yeah, that's a baseball and a, and a football reference there. And number three, he writes in, I recently went to Vegas and lost my wallet, literally, not figuratively. Is there a worse city to lose your wallet in that does not include cash, ID, debit cards? So where would you not? I mean, the answer for me, just speaking here from, you know, from Predator's standpoint, it's St. Louis, because not only did you lose your wallet, but you're in St. Louis, Missouri. I, I would say um, Miami because of the degree of uh, healthcare fraud, they can steal your. They'll, they'll not only take your wallet, but they might steal your identity as well, fully, and charge you MRI fees. Gross. That's pretty good. Um, I don't know. San Francisco. It's really expensive. <laughs> if you don't. If you don't have your hey, wallet, well, you know what that wallet cost? <laughs> it's Corinthian leather. If, if you don't have your wallet in San Francisco, good luck trying to. You know, stay anywhere. Granted, there's nothing that fits in your wallet that can actually pay for something you could buy in San Francisco. Which is actually funny. I just watched the Seinfeld episode the other day with the wallet where George has got like the, the Enzo wallet. Yeah, it's like the hamburger size. <laughs> <laughs> Tears off the little guitar thing and tries to put it in there and just explodes <laughs> on the street. I remember that. <laughs> My receipts. I do miss that show. Uh, I did uh, this, the the uh, after doing a Seinfeld night, I believe, sometime this year. Oh yeah, are they wearing jerseys? Uh, Are they wearing puffy shirt jerseys? They should. I've seen that. I actually, they. I mean, granted, they were just pirate, like jer- novel jerseys, but they called them puffy shirt jerseys, which is really what it's pretty matters. amazing. Yeah, I don't know what else that they would yeah. be able to. Admirals put on. salute to Seinfeld. Yeah, let's have a look at this. That's what the minor leagues exist for promotional purposes only. Uh, you know what? It's this Friday. 
It says Friday. Um, let's see here. Brian George, aka Babu, is going to be there. Nice. Very very bad man. <laughs> Kevin Fiala, very bad man. We're going to send that is a minor celebrity. That is a stretch of a, a person to bring it. That's a deep cut. That's right a deep there. album cut right there. He was only in two episodes. I think the, the shrimp's a little stringy. <laughs> All right, coming back after the break, we're going to look back at November, at least November through six games. Let's compare it to October and some numbers that may may jump out at you a little bit. Also, we got five tough questions, news around the league. You're listening to the Predcast, brought to you by Lion's Own Internet Marketing Solutions. These days, you need a partner current in latest website design standards. One that also provides quality support services like hosting, email, e-commerce, CMS, and more. And you need a partner experienced in online branding and marketing, like social media, search engine marketing, rich media, and email marketing. You need a partner that knows how to market your company in today's age of advertising. You need LionZone. Their professional staff and partners have the know-how, creativity, and experience to help you reach your marketing goals. Contact them today for a free consultation at 615-353-0402. That number again is 615-353-0402. Or you can reach them on their website at www.lionzone.com. Lionzone, Nashville's leading internet marketing agency since 1999. Take a look around some of the team news real quick before we dive into. Uh, we went a little bit long with questions, but I don't think you people mind us. Talking they were wonderful questions. They were good questions. A lot of them. We were. love your questions. Yeah, we the, love the you. comment section represented this time yeah, for the first time so. in weeks. Uh, some team news here. Um, very cool. The Predators were have been given um, been given some league funds to help grow hockey in the area. Did you guys see this? Uh, yeah, that's so cool. I love seeing that. Yeah, that was a. I think there was an actual dollar amount that they wanted. They want to have a. Um, they said they want to have sticks in how many kids' hands? Let's see here. They, they, the term they used was, you know, was can be taken the wrong way. We're not going to. Is this like for right. building rinks, or is it for just like getting people to start introduced to hockey? Uh, both. Okay. Both. Um, but it looks like the league is actually going to be providing them some funds as well. Um, so that's a good thing. There's a, a story on the Predators website about that. Um, minor news: Carter Hutton has been reactivated from injured reserve. He got moved Ooh. on injured reserve uh, earlier in the week. Merrick Mazinich called up for a cup of coffee in the big time. Uh, sent back without even uh, did he even do the pre? Did he even do the interviews? I barely even noticed. I don't think so. Uh-huh. If he did, I missed it. Poor guy. Well, I don't. I don't. I don't know how good his English is. He he speaks is English fine. Yeah, I've, I've spoken to him before. He knows what he's talking if about. Even if he just said Mazinix, then just over and over again, just said his last name mm-hmm. just three or four times just so we got it and we don't argue about the pronunciation of it, that's a victory. Um, we talked already about uh, Gostad versus Nystrom and what's going to happen there. Um, let me see here. I believe that's all of the major team news as of right now. Going around the league, um, quite a bit of stuff going on, which we'll go and get into that. Um as good as the Predators' month was so far in November, the Stars have 
showing they're a pretty good hockey team, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. That sucks. We were kind of depending on the Stars already crashing and burning and questioning themselves by now. But When do the Predators and Stars play each other? Oh, that's a little ways away now, I believe. That's what I thought, because it's, it's very odd the amount of... Uh, or, the infrequency of Central Division games so far. There's been, what, three of December, them? December 31st is the next Stars game. Wow. So that means they're going to be playing them quite a bit in the springtime. Mm-hmm. This is good. I don't want to be playing the Stars right now. Well, they still have, uh, uh, the Predators still have two games in hand on them as well. So even though that point total looks lofty, they're only ahead by, um, granted, if the Predators have to win those games in hand, but if they do that, I think they're still only ahead by... Two or three points, maybe four points. That goal differential for Dallas is that was really something. It's insane. Yeah, I mean they just they just can, they can burn any team in the league, no problem. They don't need a whole lot of shots to do so either. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. it's, they're not a team that you can just pepper and pepper and pepper and know you're going to walk away with a win. No, I'm, I'm never not going to blame Boston. I, I for some reason I'm just going to make it Boston's fault that Dallas is at all any good. Yeah, I mean that's that's. That's acceptable. I mean, for granted, me. they did what draft and develop Jamie Ben, so I mean, I guess that's nice for them. Yeah, uh, the Blackhawks and the Blues Jerks. do still want to kill each other, and the Blackhawks have actually updated their club charter that they will not rest until the head of David Backus is sitting on a pike outside the United Center. It's pretty ugly, huh? It's <laughs> <That was> pretty <laughs> ugly. Uh, we saw it a couple years ago with Seabrook trying to kill Backus, and now uh, Taves decided he's going to do it the captain's duty and try to do it himself. Uh, more luck to that. Good luck to you with that. Yeah, I'm happy to have those two teams just beat the crap out of each other. Yeah, they get they get so worked up over those games for each other. It's it's great for us because it means it kind of puts our little spat with both of those teams in kind of perspective. Yeah. But sort of like Boston Montreal, if both teams were Boston. <laughs> <laughs> um, bizarre, uh, bizarre stat of the night. Colorado, as you said, may be the worst team in the league. Uh, Edmonton may be approaching that territory before too long without McDavid. Columbus is still bad. But out of all of those teams, what does Colorado have that no other team has as far as their stat column goes? Oh, and their stat column? Oh, man, my easy answer was a crazy person as their coach, but... About a, uh, I mean, they've got a. I know they've got a positive goal differential, which exactly. is utterly bizarre. They have a positive goal... Di- they're a plus four in their goal differential for the year. Well... Despite only winning seven games, and once they once they trade Duchenne and, and all their other star players because they're you such know, a disaster yeah. that no one wants to stay there, uh, that'll change. Although those new jerseys look pretty sharp, eh, I okay. will disagree with you. Just so I'm very not much. overly crazy about them. Okay, my favorite okay, fine. Avalanche jersey was like the all burgundy one that just said Colorado. On oh it. man, uh-uh. I don't think I've ever really liked a, an avalanche jersey. I just it's the, the 90s whole is hell. the whole blue and burgundy combination just with feels, black for no reason. Just feels unwieldy. You think with with a culture with as much history as Denver, you could put together a better uniform? See, that's what I thought that they did with their third jersey. I thought that it looked so much better than what they're currently wearing. It's like, what would fix our problem? How about a white shoulder yoke? That's it. That's so not. I mean, I'm not the white shoulder yokes. Just kind of look silly. And I like shoulder yokes. Yeah. I, think I like saying shoulder yoke. <laughs> I think the Minnesota's on their away jerseys look pretty good. Carolina's, I think, looks really good. On their away jersey, I don't yes. like Carolina's away jersey. Their their think, road or their home jersey so much sharper than with the random black and stuff. I don't know. Not a fan. Uh, I, I do like the Minnesota new the new road jerseys. I Minnesota, do. if nothing else, at least Minnesota's sharply dressed, and they always have been sharply dressed. Yeah, their color scheme's a little bit too Christmassy for me, but I like. I, I, I don't. I'm not a huge Christmas person, and I think it's just endearing. Looking at the <laughs> um, 
we wanted to kind of dive into some of the bigger numbers here. Um, we all agree that October, we did not see the Predators' best hockey. I uh, played 10 games in October. Uh, they've only played six in November. They look so much better in November. So if you're looking at November's numbers, uh, in terms of shots attempted or Corsi or whatever phrase you want to use, they're at 58% total. Pretty good? Uh, yeah, and they, they uh, I think also, I know you've got a, other things, but the one thing I want to I add on that is they also lead the entire league in expected goals scored. Okay. So they've got a lot of potential too. Mm-hmm. All right. Pretty good? 58%? Yeah. Was that score adjusted? Nope, that's just that's just raw. Well, that's still pretty good. Okay, scoring chances for they are sixty-two uh, percent generated on ice. That's very good. Sixty-four point eight in high high danger scoring chances. They are plus six in goal differential in the league, uh, as far as on ice goal differential, and they are uh, their their offensive zone starts have went up drastically. Now, look, looking back through these numbers, they're actually first in the league in raw Corsi as far as raw shots attempted. The amount of shots attempted on ice, 58% for Nashville, only 42 against. Uh, they're first in the league as far as scoring chances for as well. They're first in the league at high-definition scoring chances during the month of November. These are all November numbers I'm quoting here. They're second to only New York, who's plus 12 in goal differential this month because Henrik Lundqvist has unlocked a cheat code, unfortunately. In October, give you an idea how well these numbers were in October. They were 12th in shots attempted or Corsi. They were 8th in Fenwick, which is unblocked shot attempts. They were only they were still eighth in goal differential and plus four, which is pretty pedestrian because everybody, would, you know, it's a small number. They were only twelfth in shot in scoring chances for. They were fourth in high in high danger mm-hmm. because that's that's what happens when you have the Predators defense. Right. But the big number, they were twenty third in the league in zone starts and offensive zone starts in October. That has went up to seventh in November. That's a big deal. Yeah. And. Because I looked at a lot of those numbers when I did the uh, 10 game in piece, and one of the things that I came to the conclusion of is that they're they were they're a good team. They were doing a lot of things right, but there were plenty of uh, opportunities for uh, those numbers to improve. So far that they have, I think one of the reasons why maybe their offensive zone starts have gone up so much is the fact that they're just shooting the puck a lot more. Because if you're shooting the puck a lot more, the goalie is going to either make a save or um, stop the puck or they're going to ice the puck or something along those. Exactly. So then then when you're shooting that, the puck that much, you're going to see way more zone starts in the offensive zone than when it's going the other way. Yeah. And this includes the beat down that the Predators received in Anaheim. It includes the, the St. Louis game. So we have that whole second period nap. When have we seen that last? It's been a while. It's been in the first couple games of the season, I think, where it's been truly like, wow, they definitely did not show up for that period. I mean, there's also, I don't think they've been able to afford the second period naps for the most part. You didn't see it. Um, You didn't see it against uh, Ottawa. You didn't see it against uh, St. Louis. You didn't didn't see it against Toronto. Didn't see it against Winnipeg. But so I think I think Winnipeg is a little bit of an outlier um, for a couple of different reasons. The other ones, especially the um, the, uh, I'll challenge you on that one actually because if you're going to have a second period nap, why would you not have one when you're up four goals at home? Well, I'm just saying it's an outlier. Yeah. Um, but I, I think there's situations where either they were way, way behind, or they uh, were at even play and they couldn't afford to give any ground. Um, with St. Louis, they had to, they had to try to match them. They had to try to get back in that game play wise, um, and then with with the Senators, 
it was 3-1. You, if you want any chance of even taking the game to overtime, you need to score some goals in the second period. Um, I, I think personnel makes a big difference. I think it's, it really comes down to personnel um, and then maybe some comfort things, but I, I, I'm going to always land on, on the difference in, in personnel deployment and who's taking those face-offs when you have offensive zone starts or defensive zone starts because that makes a huge difference on what happens the second that puck is out of that face-off circle. I think with, the, with Gostad being out of the lineup, they've... Not all the defensive zone draws have went to the assistance line. They, they're they slowly starting to, to lean that way, but that forced them to have Mike Fisher and Callie Yarncroak in their lines even taking more defensive zone draws. And I'm all for getting your best players on the ice whenever you can get them out there, as long as they're not exhausted, as long as you don't overuse them. So not sticking the Gostad line out there on the defensive zone draws all the time is probably a good thing. Well, does that lead to ultimately, uh, and this is an open question to both of you, it, not having Gossett out there for the defensive zone draws, even if you don't win it, let's say you, you get the puck, you move out, you break out, does that just generate more shots? It should. Possibly, especially if you've got uh, players that you know are going to get shots on goal. Forsberg, Smith, Neal, uh, even uh, Hodgson and Arvidsson. I would, Salamaki, them, sorry. I would rather them run out of line though, full of guys that I know can go out there and get the puck than guys that are built to play without the puck. And that's one of the things we looked at, too, um, because just because they win the faceoff doesn't mean that they're going to do anything with it. I've seen so many times this year where Gostad wins the faceoff and they immediately turn it over and get hemmed in in their own zone. Yeah, repeatedly. And and I think that's what was happening with the uh, the, the fearsome one-minute shifts with, with Bartley and Boteto. It was this, this combination of a really weak forward line with a really weak defensive pairing, and you wonder why that was such a disaster. Uh, penalty kill numbers, they allowed only six penalty. They allowed six PK goals since the game at Anaheim. They only allowed three penalty kill goals during the month of October, so the PK's taken a step back. The power play, about on par. They're, they've allowed, uh, or they've scored five goals in the power play, allowed one shorthanded during the month of November. They scored seven in the month of October, so the power play's about on par, maybe a little bit better. Uh, penalty kill has taken a step back, so that's a bit unfortunate. Um, the most ineffective penalty killer so far, is, I believe, has actually been Mike Fisher, but I have to check the numbers again on that one. So a um, couple of trends there. Number one, we like having the fourth line being able to skate, but number two, they need to be careful about not overusing Mike Fisher. Man, I, I really just worry about Fisher as the season goes on. I think it's really hard to not overuse him. I mean, they depend on him to be a leader on the ice, to set a tone on the ice, to be on the top in the top six, but he just... Every, he's looking a little bit more gas this year already, and that's not a good sign because it's not even the it's not even December. I right. mean, the standings I, they still haven't hit the point in the year where I say the standings even matter, mm-hmm. and so I get I get very worried about that. All right, um, anything before we uh, move into five tough questions? Because I know we've kind of covered a lot of things tonight as far as numbers, as far as just the general play. Uh, before we actually one question I'll ask before you guys uh, before we go into that, Mika Salamaki. Uh, how do you th- how do you feel about how they're using him? Because they started off using him on the second line, and we we all liked it. And he's a good possession player. He's out there to, as you say, be an agent of chaos out on the ice. Um, I feel like he's a better fit on the third line. But I want to get your thoughts on that before we go any further. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Um, I did like him on the second line. I thought it's one of those things. He's still trying to find his footing in the NHL, and maybe uh, putting him up there on the second line immediately may may not have been the best thing for him, even though he didn't look too terribly out of place. Like he didn't look 
incredible, but he also didn't look bad. So I'd like to see, you know, especially like we talked about how uh, Yarn Croak and Hodgson are getting some of that chemistry back together. If Yarn Croak stays there, maybe they those three can start finding something because he was a wrecking ball uh, last night against the Jets. Yeah, not too much to add on, on to that. I mean, he, he plays that wrecking ball role real, really, really well. And I think uh, on, on something like the third line, that can be a huge asset because you've got kind of a uh, guys you can shoot and also do playmaking in, in Yarn Croak and Hodgson to a degree. And then you add in some guy who's going to come through, smash the lines as much as he can and and scatter people. That just, that's going to help Hodgson find his footing a little bit more, who's had a quietly fine year. Uh, maybe he can add a, he can jump that up beyond adequately fine and and you know yarn crow could be great to see him come alive again and maybe maybe Salamal can kind of you know inspire them or get them revved up i do think that uh, i would like to see hodgson next to fisher at some point because i think fisher just being kind of a bigger player than hodgson could just bounce stuff off of maybe a good fit but i'm weird i don't know whatever <laughs> cali yarn jersey just permanently tattooed onto my body all right, let's run into this uh, five tough questions brought to you by a dynamic sponsor opportunity that is we're working on, I'm, I'm guessing. Number one, at the current moment, what prospect of the Predators are you more excited about, Kevin Fiala or Vladislav Kamenev? Kamenev, hands down. Yeah, I, I've been really surprised. Like I knew Kamenev was going to be kind of a, an interesting talent, uh, but, man, He's just he's acclimated so quickly to everything in Milwaukee. He just looks like he looks like he is going to be ready to make the team sooner than I ever thought. And that's not to say that, you know, with the recent Pratt balls that Fiala's had, he's, you know, soured my thoughts about him or that he's not a good prospect, but you look at the needs that the Predators have as far as the center and you look at how quickly, like Link said, he's acclimated himself to the game. And it looks like maybe he could start helping the Predators out much sooner rather than later. The, thing, the reason I think Fiala, we, we can't really get too excited about him right now, is is the way he's been acting sort of reminds me of some of the early montages from Mighty Ducks 2 where they're like picking up all the problematic people from over the country over these talents and trying to like make them into an elite hockey team. Kevin Fiala has been recruited, but now he's still trying to do like rope tricks on the ice and, and swears the knuckle puck is the, is the way of the future and he's going to just goof off and he needs that Emilio Estevez come to uh, come to Gretzky moment I think we're all in agreement that D2 is the best of the Mighty Ducks movies right yeah I mean it, it, I, it, I, I can't even remember it's been years since I've seen the first one but I've seen the second one probably three or four times in the last couple of years were Iceland the bad guys yeah I yeah. mean how weird is that <laughs> I, well, I think the guy's name is actually like Gunnar Stahl like he was like a forgotten Stahl brother <laughs> which which unfortunately trivializes the true forgotten stall brother jared yeah jared jared stall <laughs> number two Callie yarncroak has been moved back to center we've already touched a little bit on this about how i know he has four goals for the year he has this comical anime style wind-up shot that his hair turns blue and it's, it's really awesome will he make a move into the top six permanently by the end of this year and can he at least crack the power play rotation he should. Uh, I, I think a injury to Fisher seems like something that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at that point, I mean, Yarncroke is to date shown the most inclination to take over that spot because he, he can play a true center role uh, that's needed and is similar enough to Fisher to, to not have too much disruption in the play style. 
Yeah, and he's also got that. Uh, again, we always we always talk about this, but it's true about how just smart of a player that he is. And when you've got an extra guy uh, on the ice, you can slow it down, kind of like what Mike Ribeiro does. Slow down the game and look for those opportunities um, for what can happen on the power play. He reminds me of someone like took bits and pieces of Fisher's game and of Ribeiro's game and of Gostad's game and just kind of molded them together in like a little travel size package. That's him. Put it so in some chemical X in that as well. And then you know maybe add like a like an incredible head of hair and <laughs> like, a baby face. Callie, you were once described as being travel size. How do you feel about this? It is okay. And then he <laughs> smiles, and everyone's cancer is cured. <laughs> That's how it works. Number three, uh, the Winnipeg Jets coach Paul Maurice uh, had a, some really uh, had some good quotes after the game. I don't know if you guys saw this yet. But uh-huh. he, I don't feel sorry for our goaltenders, like that kind of stuff. Jeez. That's great. Uh, will Paul Maurice make it to December as the head coach of the, the Winnipeg Jets? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, I don't, I, I don't think that they're playing terribly right now. Again, they're going through a slump, but they're still, if they weren't in the Central Division then they would still be in the conversation of the playoffs and anywhere else. Yeah, I mean, it's it's symptomatic of the Central Division. There's only one bad team in the Central Division, and everyone knows who they are, and there's not much to be done about that. But, I mean, coming in, uh, you know, second to last in the Central is, would, would, at least this year, if, if and this is, you know, you, you, can, you can shoot me evil, like, needle glares for saying this, but if the season were to end today, it would be a shame because, thanks, Dan, um, because if they were in almost any other division, they would make the playoffs. But because they're in the Central, they're on the outside looking in because despite the fact that the Pacific is a tire fire. Yeah, they would be in second place in the Atlantic Division, I think. There was 17 points, or at least they would have been a couple of days ago. What do you mean the Pacific's a tire fire? The first round matchup would be the Arizona Coyotes and the Vancouver Canucks. The Arizona, by the way, has a negative goal difference in their second place in the division. <laughs> I'm sorry, wow. tire fire was overly nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's terrible. Number four, the Blues and Blackhawks played last night with Taves and Backus getting into a scrum. They fought before, which, you know, the media loves to bring that up. In your opinion, what is the nastiest rivalry in the Western Conference? Mm. In the Western Conference? Yeah, because NBC Rivalry Night loves to bring up the, the Bruins and the Habs or the Flyers and the, and the Penguins. Or, or the Coyotes and the Islanders. We're talking about NBC Rivalry Night, right? Yeah. Okay, just making sure I'm gauging this properly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there, there that, are some that is good a, ones. Yeah, that, I mean, that one right there is a good one. I mean, St. Louis, Chicago is obviously the classic, like the oldest classic one for the for the uh, West. Yeah. I, I like the uh, the Crosstown uh, Ducks-Kings rivalry quite mm-hmm. a bit. Those guys are vicious. The, at least the fans are vicious to one another, and I think that bleeds over. You could also add the Sharks in there, too, like Sharks-Kings from, like, from what was going on with them a couple years ago, yeah, like the yeah. the stick on, on the bench and everything. Um, one of the things that I, ones that I think gets a little bit underreported too is Dallas and Nashville. There, there have been some nasty games with them in the last couple years. I don't. I wouldn't say that you know not putting it on the level of you know no. uh, Ducks or I'm sorry Hawks and Blues like the Wild and the Avs. Those teams hate each other. Those fans hate each other. Yeah, but that's that's like watching two puppies fight. It's nothing's cute about it. It's like watching well, a puppy with mange to like one that has like developmental problems fighting each other. But it's what I wanted to use. No one's going to mention the Battle of Alberta either. I was going to actually bring that up, okay. just for, just for comedic Thank purposes. You, sure. But right. uh, no, yeah, well, I mean that's a that's a good rivalry. The problem is both teams have been so 
combinations of one either is way, way bad than the other. They're both mediocre. It's not mm-hmm. a lot of fun. But I, I think the, there's a really boring, easy answer, and that's St. Louis-Chicago. Yeah. Because it's got the history. It's got lots of years. It's got battles. It's got a lot of talent. So it, it's got all the ingredients you need for a really good rivalry. I'm going to go Sharks-Kings, but, yeah, I think that's the easy answer. I think you're, yeah. the, you're the correct one. Number five. Also, this is a terrible, terrible bit of bad luck for St. Louis, but uh, also the Bears played in St. Louis today, too. So you had the Blackhawks playing the Blues last night. You had the Bears playing the Rams today in St. Louis. Wow. So as you can imagine, and I saw, I clipped over on my red zone and I saw it. Uh, Chicago fans were everywhere inside the arena, which, or it's an, it's officially, it's an arena. It's a crummy old dome that they built. So. Outside of your history of Predators games, what is the most obnoxious visiting fan story that you have? Obnoxious visiting fan story. There's a lot of ways you could take this. I mean, a lot of ways, I, directions I could go with this. Because I, you know, I've I've encountered uh, Dallas fans in Philadelphia before. Um, You're talking about the Cowboys fans playing the Eagles? Yeah. Yeah. Oh God. Uh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. I wasn't clear. I just assumed. Um, you know, I've, I've encountered that before. Um, I've. I've um, had to to share a bar with Arsenal fans during a North London derby. So, I mean, that's pretty unpleasant. Link is probably going to give me glares and looks, but when the Nationals were awful, uh, they would bust down Phillies fans from Philadelphia to help fill that arena. And this is, you know, 2009, 2010, so pretty not far removed from their uh, World Series win in 2008. And oh my God, just some of the the things that were uh, hurled at me just because I was wearing a Nationals jersey in the Nationals ballpark were incredible. I had to my you've met my dad. He's like the nicest guy in the world. Like no, is not very confrontational at all. I had to pry him away from this big fat Phillies fan in his like late 30s early 40s because the Phillies were beating the Nationals and the guy was like basically all but poking my dad in the back of the head telling him that the Nationals sucked and they you know the Phillies were better which I mean of course is yeah, true a, we can't argue with you know yeah but it was great because uh, Ryan Zimmerman hit a walk-off home run in that game and all the Phillies fans went and cried it's amazing sorry Link. well no Philly fans spent a lot of time crying over sports it's true it's a priorities issue Mine was actually at a neutral side game. I was at the uh, Georgia-Florida game, and uh, there was some Georgia fans driving up in a Buick and uh, caught our tailgate tent just by enough to, like, completely destroy it. Oh. Which is kind of scary. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, that that's a pretty cool setup because one half of the stadium is for one team, one half of the stadium is for the other team. It's the closest thing in America that we get to European-style, uh, like, um, What's the good word? I don't want to say segregation, but where they literally separate the two sections of fans. Uh, where they, in Europe, they have like the the, the designated visitor sections yeah. at the yeah. the stadiums. Yeah. College football neutral side games are the closest thing we get to that, and those are fun. Those are worth going to, but uh, you still got to go. You still got to park in the same parking lots they do. Now, I have been the invading fan because when I lived in Chattanooga. I would every once in a while drive down to Atlanta when the Flyers were in town. Since nice. they, they played more frequently in Atlanta than they did in Nashville. So, you know, walking in there in a Flyers jersey and, and all the Flyers fans coincidentally somehow sit in the same section, I think despite what the tickets say, yeah, um, we all just would plop down and, and hang out and, you know, yell things. And, and some obviously some of the very traditional 
you know, Flyers fans who were making fun of the Atlanta Thrashers because, I mean, poor Thrashers. Who has thra- flamethrowers at a hockey game? Yeah, I haven't been the invading fan for a Capitals game other than Nashville, and that's a little bit different just because of, you know, my attachment with the Predators and everything like that. And, you know, I cheer when Alex Ovechkin scores twice on Carter Hutton, but I'm not going to, you know, I do too. Rub it don't any- feel bad. Yeah, I'm not going to rub it in anyone's face other than maybe Carter Hutton. Yeah. Poor kid. How was your, <laughs> how was your walk to the car that night? It was fine. Uh, I was uh, very sad and depressed, but other than that... You didn't have anything like hurled at you or anything? No. Or, no. I mean, the uh, the first time when I was in college, when I uh, came down to see a Capitals game, it was uh, it was like a 3-1 to one, uh, win for the Predators like in overtime. And I sat in a section, I was sitting by myself, and you know everyone was like, hey, you're wearing the wrong jersey or something like that. But um, I mean, I was this was after I had been watching the Predators for several months. And uh, we just, uh, the people in the section, I was sitting up in the 300s, like right next to the broadcast booth. And we just chatted during the, uh, during the intermission. Everyone was super nice. One of the reasons why I fell in love with Nashville is because like, hey, you got your own jersey on, but you're not being a, a jerk. So let's talk about how awesome hockey is and how much fun we're having. I'm like, okay. That was totally anticlimactic. Yeah, I apologize. <laughs> Tuesday night, Predators have the Ducks coming into town. Uh, Friday, they have a nice back-to-back for the 2000 uh, expansion teams, the Columbus Blue Jackets, and then the always entertaining Minnesota Wild. Target for this week, uh, they went 2-0-1 this past week and played some really good hockey with the exception of the one uh, just snooze fest against Toronto. So what are we what are we earmarking this week for? Because right now they're they're sitting at uh, five points out of the division lead with two games in hand. Uh Goal differentials at plus twelve. They've only got they've only won eight games in regulation though. So, uh, what's your earmark for this week? Well, if uh, Hutton's starting one of the back to backs, probably figure that that's probably you like him at least to go two to one. Um, Hold on, would you play him before you even answer that? Would you play him against Columbus? Because Columbus has been essentially thawed garbage, you know, through the most part of the. Uh, the season so far, or would you play him in Minnesota? I would play him against uh, Columbus, and here's why. Like, a lot of people say, like, oh, well, you play him against, you know, you play Rene against the worst team so that you can bank up the points and everything like that, and I feel the exact opposite. Like, play your worst goaltender against the worst team, so that way when you're playing a good team, like, unfortunately, the Minnesota Wild are right now, um, you have more of a chance to win and less of a chance for things to go wrong. Yeah, I mean, I think you definitely want Rene in that against the Wild. Uh, and so you, you kind of roll the dice a little bit, play Carter Hutton on Friday night. I'm okay with that. So, Earmark, I'm going to go, um, I'll lead off. I'll go 2-1-0, and just because I think they'll drop the game again. They'll drop whatever game Hutton plays. That's unfair to Carter. Maybe a little bit unfair to Carton, but Carter Hutton, but yeah, they got to lose at some point. And they went 2-1, mm-hmm. and 2-1 one, and one for the entire season last year. 3-1, and 2-1. and one. So, yeah, why not? Yeah, I'll also go two and one. I, I'm feeling pretty good about this week. Yeah, I think we're all kind of in agreement on this. Boo. Uh, I mean, I could go with a less exciting one, one and one, but I decided I didn't want to go that way. No, I did that. I wanted two and one. It didn't turn out so well. Doesn't feel good. Mm-mm. It's not a fun prediction. No, it doesn't feel fun. But you know what? They went two on one last week. If they if they go two and one every single week, they're they're being great shape. No one's upset about that. I mean, they're ten three and three now, so that means they've. You know, you you for every ten wins you have, you have six losses. That, that makes sense. Ten, that's th- up ten three and three. Good for third in the central. <laughs> I hate this. If only they had one more of those overtime games. 
No, if only they moved us to the Southeast Division like they should have done whenever they, win it, whenever they moved the team to Winnipeg, man. We would have been a division with, uh, let's see, the powerhouse uh, 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 Columbus Blue Jackets and, and, and Carolina, Carolina Hurricanes. Florida. Wait, you Metropolitan or the Atlantic? No. Remember the, the Southeast Division? Oh, the South. Oh, right. Yeah. That was a long time ago. That would have been awesome. The Panthers, the, the Lightning. I, I'm, so, I'm really still glad that didn't happen. That's another topic for another day, but... I'll take the cauldron any day. Mm, nah, I'm good. All right, anything else before we close up shop on this one? I don't think so. I'm hoping that we get to see more of Colton Sissons. I agree. I'm waving the Colton Sissons 84 flag right now. I, I, I Could I borrow your flag so I could wave it to yeah, you? Yeah, here you go. Yeah. All right, we're all waving the invisible flag of Colton Sissons. We're taking the... No, it's a real flag. What are you talking about? I stitched this up last night. Oh, it's beautiful. I can't. I didn't know you could sew. Yeah. It's fantastic, Dan. You can follow him on Twitter at 3DLink. You can follow John on Twitter at JGarcia36. You can follow myself at DanDBradley. You can follow the show at OnTheForeCheck. This has been another episode of the Predcast brought to you by OnTheForeCheck.com, Lion's Own Internet Marketing Solutions. I'll see you all next week.